Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, February the 22nd, 2024. Books are always one way or the other autobiographical. You can always guess something about the author from their biography. My guest today, Peter McGraw, uh, describes himself as, and I'm putting it in order in terms of his online biography, a bachelor, a behavioral economist, and a business school professor. Uh, all the Bs, bachelor, behavioral economist, and business school professor. And I think that reflects his new book. It's called Solo, uh, the single person's guide to a remarkable life. Obviously, uh, he is thrilled to be a bachelor. Not everyone wants to be alone, but certainly uh, Peter does. And he is joining us. He's alone in his closet in <laughs> Denver, Colorado. Uh, Peter, congratulations on the new book, Solo, speaking thesis. Um, what does being a bachelor mean? Why do you put that first in your bio? Well, I certainly I've been a bachelor longer than I've been a behavioral economist or a business school professor. Um, but thank you for the the warm wishes. Um, I do it in part to, I would say, co-opt language. Uh, so I actually, um, I've been a lifelong bachelor, never married, no kids. Um, don't expect that to happen. Uh, I have a vasectomy, so I expect the latter to never happen for sure. And I I thought a lot about, and, and actually have some data in the book about words related to single living versus non-single living. And the average everyday person tends to think about words like husband, wife, spouse, beloved, soulmate, et cetera, as being very positive. The words associated with single living um, including bachelor, of course, spinster, even solo, uh, the top, the, the title of my book and podcast, um, you know, widower, divorced, etc., are much, um, much lower rated. Actually, they're on the negative side of the scale in most people's opinion, when they think about their, their emotions, their feelings, uh, with regard to those terms. And I think there's a long history of, um, people using language to start to change the way people think about their, it could be ethnic group, it could be um, a religious group, et cetera. And I remember putting bachelor in my Twitter profile for the first time. And I, I was thinking about it in the following way. People feel very comfortable saying that they're a husband, they're a wife, they're a father, they're a mother. And I decided that I was going to put bachelor in there because that described who I was along that type of dimension. And so I, um, I did it with some trepidation and um, probably shouldn't have, in a sense. I didn't lose tons of followers. No one questioned me hard about it. Um, but it is something that given that I'm, I've become an advocate and involved in the solo movement, if I can't show pride for my relationship status, how can I expect anyone else to? Uh, your thesis 
gives new meaning to i i often quote rousseau on this show he's not my favorite philosopher but he was a very smart man and he used language with remarkable intelligence he famously introduced one of his books by suggesting that man was born free he said man of course i assume he meant women too man was born free but everywhere he is in chains is that your thesis that we're born solo and we many of us at least make the mistake of marriage <laughs> association and that real freedom requires us to remain as alone as solo as when we emerged into the world no though that is a fun thesis to have and i could see that being a provocative and and even a useful one for some people i would say that my thesis is much more balanced and um we'll start with with i think the the overall thesis of the book and then then my definition of what it means to be solo uh my thesis in the book is that marriage is not as good and singlehood is not as bad as you've been led to believe and that a thoughtful look at the data and a thoughtful look at what makes a good life uh, reveals that marriage while an excellent institution for many people tends to be over prescribed and tends not to be useful necessarily through the entire lifespan and as a result we have a bunch of single people who um, by choice or by chance uh, are going to remain single and yet they don't feel good about it because there's a lot of pressure to do this thing get married which by the way is a very narrow type of relationship um, and so I wanted to to make the case for the opportunities that singlehood grants us and that it might be a very good fit for now or forever for a person and that in no way should be viewed as less than or even necessarily temporary. And so, as you can see, that's a much more balanced view than um, that, that your best life may be, ought to be single. The second element of the book and, and the movement more generally is that I want us to, as a society, transcend relationship status. That is that I don't think that knowing whether someone is single or married tells you that much about them, at least tells you about a lot of important things about them. It doesn't tell you what they do for a living. doesn't tell you where they live. It doesn't tell you about their uh, social life, aside from the fact that they might have a spouse. It doesn't tell you what their hobbies are. It doesn't tell you how happy they are. And... Um, and yet people want to know this thing because they want to know how to treat you. They want to know whether you have arrived or whether you're on the path to this special place, this, um, this chance to ride, as we call it, the relationship escalator. And so the solo movement in many ways is about thinking about your identity independent of relationship status. And Andrew, maybe we can, we can do a little quiz here. We can find out if you're a solo or not what would you guess before you start i'm gonna guess that you are a solo i don't know what your relationship status is um but one of the things that i like to say is not all singles are solo and not all solos are single that is you could be solo with a spouse um so, so you don't even have to have, so to speak you're having your cake and eating it aren't you 
Why not? That's okay to do, I think. Um, so, well, okay, well, let's do the test. So Let's do the test. So there are three elements, three characteristics of solos. The first one and the most important one is that a solo is wholehearted. They see themselves as a complete person, not an incomplete person, not half of a whole. You mean finished? In terms of their identity, yes. They're not walking around looking to make two into one. Now, that doesn't mean that they aren't connected. It doesn't mean they don't want romance. It doesn't mean that they may welcome someone into their life and have a deep, lifelong bond with that person. But they do not see themselves as incomplete. They they see that they, they don't as... see themselves as missing anything. That's right. Yes. There's no final piece of the jigsaw puzzle. They're a complete that all the pieces are there. Yes. Okay. Well, that's the first one. What about the second? Second one is that uh, solos tend to have an autonomous streak. They tend to have a sense of self-reliance. That is that they are a good parent to themselves. They are not looking for their partner to solve their problems. They seek first to solve their own problems, especially their basics, feeding themselves, clothing themselves, earning a living, uh, soothing themselves, and so on. And as a result of that, their relationships are more likely to be interdependent rather than codependent. And then and the, the third, and the third one is that, and I, I have a feeling this one, you're certainly going to, to resonate with this one, just given the nature of your podcast. And that is that, that solos tend to be unconventional thinkers. They think unconventionally about relationships. They question the rules. They don't just blindly default into the rules of the relationship escalator, for example. And they tend to think unconventionally about life. But everybody, uh, Peter, it's become a convention that everyone is unconventional. No one's going to admit they're not unconventional, are they? Well, they may not admit it, but you know the 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 proof is in their behavior, right? And so, so you know, one example of this that I, that is very fun to say is like, if you agree with every single element of your political party, have you really questioned all of those? Well, even if you're in the Trump wing of the Republican Party, which is rooted in rebellion and dissatisfaction with the status quo. Yes. And I look, I think that people, a lot of people feel like there's some element of their life that they don't fit in. And um, the question is, do they embrace that or do they try to suppress it? Um, there are a lot of people who get married. They never question whether they should get married or not. They never question what the nature of their marriage uh, should look like and should feel like. They never question whether they should buy a house or not. They just do it because that's what everybody else seems to be doing. And yeah. I don't have any problem with people doing those things. I just I just think that a solo tends to to question those things, even if they ultimately choose the mainstream in in that sense. And so that basically, you know, as I would say, opens up possibilities to live a more remarkable life, to live a more a life more of your choosing. Um, and now to the to the quote that you started with, I think that there certainly everybody um, is uh, born single, right? That's the one thing that is constant in the world that everybody in the world is, was, or will be again single, right? That's the thing that we all have in common. Not everybody marries, and not everyone stays married. 
Um, and there was a time in the world where everybody was single. The invention of marriage is only about 4,500 years old. And it's important to recognize that marriage was invented to solve societal problems. It wasn't invented for individual happiness. And it has improved with regard to individual happiness, but I think it's, it still stands to, um, to improve. Yeah, and I, I'm guessing, you know, going back to Rousseau, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, all the social contract theorists of the 17th and 18th century, Hobbes, they were political, but I guess it could be extended to relationships that in Hobbes's state of nature, we were solitary, brutish, and our lives were rather short. Presumably, Hobbes might have been sympathetic, or at least Hobbesians would be sympathetic to the idea of marriage, not because it's liberation, mm -hmm. liberationary, if there's such a word, um, but because it, it, it allows us to escape the state of nature. Which, of mm. course, I'm guessing for you isn't such a bad thing. Well, I mean, it's only a bad thing if if you are want to escape it and you're unable to escape it. The I would disagree with Hobbes in the following way. I think yes, we indeed were brutish, but we weren't solitary, right? So our ancestors were hunter gatherers, right? They were highly social, and they paired up. They they you know they pair bonded and so on. They were they were much more non-monogamous than we, we are. Um, and we, we, in many ways, I think, thirsted for a bit more solitude, right? So as a hunter-gatherer, to go it alone, to, to be the lone wolf, to live a hermetic life was, was certain death. And so um, some people were obviously better at the socializing, and obviously that got... Um, that got uh, selected evolutionarily. Uh, but nonetheless, solitude presents a lot of benefits. Yeah, it's a kind of punishment. Yesterday we did a show on the death of Socrates. And Socrates, of course, mm. when, he, when he was threatened with execution, That's right, poisoning, yeah. was given the choice. He could leave Athens and be solitary, I guess, or be solo in a civic sense or he could stay and die and he chose mm -hmm. to stay and die which has always made him uh heroic for for the civically uh minded so it is an Indeed. interesting uh thesis uh i wonder well, peter the more i listen to you you're talking to me from rugged colorado rugged denver even if your closet maybe isn't quite as rugged no but is this just the old american frontiersman ethic dressed up in the 21st century language of behavioral economics and uh and and and, and online culture i um that's a fascinating question i appreciate you asking it no well maybe a little bit certainly i mean i i grew up in new jersey and always was um enamored with the American West. And, and that may say something about me and my singlehood and my solohood, but I don't think it's a universal. And, and here's why. Well, they don't have women in Colorado, do they? <laughs> well, Denver's nickname is Menver. So the, the, ratio, the gender ratio is out of sorts. If you want to be solo, go to Denver. Uh, well, if you want to force upon you, perhaps. Uh, you have to work a little bit harder, I would say. But I, um, you know, we're seeing, and I think this is worthwhile, that this is not uh, a small group of people. We're seeing a, a tremendous rise in single living in the United yeah, States. You called it a movement. Is that your term or does everybody agree it actually is a movement? 
This is a term. So actually, this term uh, came up in a Today Show episode that I appeared on, um, and I kind of grasped it and ran with it in a sense. But it's I, a good I, movement. It's not like a bowel movement. Ha, not at all. No. Although a bowel movement, you know, I've celebrated bowel good. movements before. Yeah, it depends on how good it is. Um, I think some people see it as a movement. I mean, not a movement like the civil rights movement or like women's suffrage. Uh, the challenges the singles face are not are not that of of. Um, uh, yeah, you're not going to get into. I, I don't think, Peter. You don't strike me as the kind of guy to get into victimhood and suggest that all of history is one long litany of insults and persecution no. of solos. No, not at all. If anything, um, the the solo project specifically my involvement in the solo movement in general is, is actually a positive framing of this. And it's not, there's, there's not much use to spend time complaining about something when there's such so many good things that can come of, of, of it, of recognizing it. Um, but it is, it feels like a movement in the following way. The demographics are striking. So um, yeah, one more, out of more single people, more people it, single today than ever, as you like to point out. Indeed, yes. One out of two Americans are single. One out of two of them are not interested in dating or a relationship at the moment. 28% of households in the United States are one person. That's the most common permutation of household. This is um, this is happening everywhere. Uh, so Northern Europe is sort of the, the case study of happy singles. Um, don't don't do a Denmark with me and tell me that the Danes are leading us in every way. We well, you, you could say the Danes, you could say the Swedes, you could say the Finns. I, I like to say the Swedes. Well, the Finns are odd. I don't think any. I don't think the Finns are capable of sex. Um, <laughs> yet they break themselves. I probably lost high. my one and only Finnish viewer. Listen, uh, that's funny. But you're even seeing this in collectivistic countries now. Some of it for bad reasons. So, for example, in China, there are tens of millions of men who can't find a wife because of the one-child policy. But even in South Korea, you're seeing this small, not small even, but this noticeable group of young people who are breaking away from South Korean tradition, the Han jokes as they're called, who um, are going solo and being less materialistic and and. You know, one out. of the, and I'm sure. You've thought of this is one of the the arguments that sort of reflect your thesis is that media loves to report when animals shack up and are married. So oh, yeah. You get these pieces. Oh, these penguins have lived together, or these birds are inseparable. What is it about other forms of life that? make us collectively probably not you maybe not the solo movement but most of us so so wanting animals not to be solo right yes it is funny well um first of all there's there's two elements to the animal kingdom one is whether they're monogamous or not and very few are monogamous um there's some voles i think uh Penguins, these these emperor penguins, March of the Penguins. That that movie has a, an element of bullsh bullshit to it, where they are de quite devoted to each other, but but this is like through a mating season and not lifelong per se. Um, there's a few rare cases of monogamy, and then there are animals. So most are non-monogamous. Um, our non-human primate cousins are non-monogamous. Um, as I said, our, our ancestors, other humans, um, uh, 
also non-monogamous. Most cultures have have had non-monogamy as part of part of the culture at one point or another. And then there's the and so I think people want this to happen because it's a nice way to point. Oh, we're meant to be this way, right? It's I'm so, I may be struggling. Yeah, I wonder whether it's a form of anthropocentrism that we want to find human qualities in animals, or whether we want to find universal laws. You talked about having a, a vasectomy. I wonder whether if everyone joined your movement and everyone became like you, the, our, our species would die out within a generation. Uh, indeed. Yeah, so what's and I, the, the, the Darwinian element here? Ah, well, okay. So, but well, one other quick thing about the, the animals though, is there are animals that like to be alone and there's animals that are highly cooperative that, that work in groups. A lot of this have to do with their ability to survive, right? So it's like snow leopards like their time alone. They yeah. don't need other snow snow leopards to hunt and to feed themselves, you know. Um, and then obviously on the other end of the spectrum, are like the ants and bees, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Where, where you can't you cannot um, survive as a single unit ever. And then a lot of animals are in between, you know, in that sense. Like our um, so, but uh, I think that that um, I am not concerned about everyone choosing my path. Um, I'm just wanting the world to see the path of the single person, the chosen path of, of singlehood as being different, not better or worse in that way. You know, in 1960, 90% of Americans would go on to get married and did so at age 21. Almost nothing that um, that humans do has that kind of rates, and so I think what we're just seeing is a loosening of the rules. And to the person who wants to point to this being the demise of society, a lot of the people who want to point to the way animals behave, the monogamous ones, is the way we should should live, are often the people who have an agenda to promote marriage more generally. There's a, actually a new book out called Get Married um, by Brad Wilcox that makes an impassioned case that getting married is going to help you save society. But um, one of the things is that, that one of the main major reasons, causes of the rise of single living is actually a very positive thing. It's the rise of women. That at one point of time, women were property that were passed from a father to a husband. And uh, these women didn't have a, a way to get credit. They couldn't have a mortgage. That most of them couldn't have a job. And um, what we have seen is you give women educational and economic opportunities, and then some of them decide that they don't need a man, and some of them decide that they don't want a man, and they're able to go it on their own. And I see that as a good thing. And, and then the last thing I'll say to this idea about the demise of society is I'm reluctant to tell any one person how they should behave in order to save the species. Unless that person has their finger on the nuclear button. Um, and so whether someone wants to marry or not, or whether someone wants to have a child or not, is up to them. You know, they have to bear the... Well, that the goes without saying, but the vasectomy thing is is quite radical. You can't go back on that one. So yeah, speak. that's true. But I, you know, I mean, I did it... So you've chosen, you know, at least in your own sense, not to replicate the species. I have indeed. I think there are lots of people who are doing that and would, you know, doing it in a, you know, are more excited to be doing it than I did. I mean, I also was, you know, I'm 53. And so I, I got my vasectomy at 49. 
And some of the, my reason behind it was I was at that point sure that I didn't want to have kids. And then mathematically, I was certain that I didn't want to have so kids. So do you date? I do. I'm um, So I have these four types of singles. Um, and I am. I like to say I am 20% no way and 80% new way. So I spend time not dating. I'm not doing a lot of dating at the moment. I'm busy launching a book. Um, but when I do date, I date unconventionally. I don't date to try to partner up forever in a in a conventional escalator style relationship. We are speaking with Peter McGraw, the author of an intriguing new book, Solo. I want to remind everyone that um, that this high quality show, hopefully, conversation is brought to us by Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics, um, approaching the idea of liberty, I guess, and individual rights slightly differently from uh, from Peter McGraw, but in some ways similar themes. Going to run a short feature on Liberties, and then we'll be back to more to talk more solo hood uh, in the 2020s. So don't go away, anyone. Don't go back to your partner. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We're speaking with Peter McGraw uh, from his closet in Denver, Colorado, the author of an intriguing new book, Solo, a book about uh, living on one's own, uh, the single person's guide to a remarkable life. Peter, something's going on in the culture. I'm not sure whether it's solo hood, but something is changing. Lots of Lots of pieces these days in publications like the New York Times about uh, polyamor and, 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 and breaking down marriage, I guess, in a sense, in the other way. What's happening? Why are these traditional institutions under so much assault, both in theory and practice? And is this in, in parallel with, with what's happening politically as well, where so many of our institutions seem to be breaking down? Yes. Um, fascinating question. Uh, I First of all, I would disagree with the word assault, in part because it, it assumes that... I, I'm, I think that marriage in particular, and any of these institutions, whether they be religious or government, are made to be changed, are made to evolve in response to changes in culture. And so they're not, I think, meant to be in stone in that sense. Uh, the writing that I have found to be very useful in trying to understand this, um, this phenomenon, which I agree is happening, uh, has been um, the work of this Polish sociologist. Um, it's Zygmunt Bauman, I believe. Yeah, Zygmunt Bauman, he died. Zygmunt. He used to teach at Leeds. I actually yes. met him I, was a few years ago in uh, Italy. We spoke at the same conference. Yeah, he's very uh, influential. Yes, I mean, I would love to meet the man. I, I've been he's heavily... dead, so he won't be able to. Yes, he's um, his his work on liquid modernity has been, I think, really very interesting to me. He makes the argument that we live in this sort of liquid culture today, where change is happening so fast uh, that our institutions can't keep up 
with them. You know, they're there. We're not able to sort of create these solids like we had um, in previous in previous times in pre pre uh, modernity. And I think that that is certainly the case with regard to um, the changes that are happening with regard to marriage. So I like to say that there are, are different types of singles, right? There's these, what I call no way singles. These people are not interested in dating or relationship. There's, there's these just may and someday relation, um, singles. We'll put those aside for the moment. Those are the people who want a, a traditional relationship slash marriage, but there's a smaller group, but it is fast growing. It's a spicy group. As I like to say, I call them new way singles. And these are people who maybe have found themselves single because they're dating the wrong people. They go out on a date and they end up with someone who wants something traditional and, and the new way single doesn't want something traditional. So for example, I have never wanted to live with a partner no matter how serious I was about a relationship and no matter how good it was and how much love there was in a relationship, I didn't want to live with my girlfriend. Now, that's a problem according to the rules of marriage. You're supposed to live together. You're supposed to merge your lives, identities, finances, et cetera, in this way. Um, other people are interested in having a deep, meaningful relationship, but they don't want to have romance in it. They don't want to have sex in it. They want a platonic partnership. Other people want polyamory. They want multiple romantic partners. Other others want to be ethically non-monogamous. That is, they have they have they may have a romantic partner, but they may have other casual partners, et cetera, et cetera. And the idea essentially is that what's happening is, and and I think some of it is because people are able to communicate about these things and about some of the the, um, the strength of the social norms are wearing off is that people are looking to bend and break the rules of marriage, of a traditional relationship in order to make it better suit them. And, um, and, and so as a result, this, this old form of marriage isn't as well equipped to solve the problems of these people and is not changing as fast as the, as the culture is changing around people's variance around what they want, the way they want to, to treat their intimate and romantic partnerships. How does this all, you, you stress your, uh, you're, not, you're not just a bachelor, Peter, you are a, a behavioral uh, economist, which is the second term, and also a business school professor. How, how does this fit in with behavioral econ uh, economics, which of course is uh, a discipline born very much in, in Israel, Eamon Tversky, uh, Daniel ha uh, Kahneman. How, how does uh, solohood and behavioral economics, um, how are they connected or, or are they separate things? Yeah, they are. Um, they're they are connected. It's not obvious. I'm um, actually so I um, I did my postdoc with Daniel Kahneman. Um, and so his obviously his work has been heavily influential to me. And um, late in his career, he turned his attention to well-being. What does it mean to live a good life? And so the, the connection that I have and what I argue in the book, um, and I actually spend about the last third of the book on this question of well-being. What does it mean to live a remarkable life? Uh, is that... If you choose to remain single in particular, and if you are solo in general, this creates a set of opportunities and challenges for 
um, approaching the decisions that you make in your life that that affect your satisfaction with it, the goodness of your life. And so um, being heavily influenced by the field of behavioral economics, as well as other fields, sociology, anthropology, and so on, um, I present a model of well-being in the book, a sort of some guiding principles by which to think about your choices as you approach your life. Because if you're not going to default into the, the normal expectations, now you have uh, the responsibility of making good decisions for yourself. And so that that's as I see the connection to it. And if I may anticipate a follow-up question, the, the business school professor part of it is um, forthcoming. I've been writing articles and-, and Well, business my... school, it's only business school professors, Peter, who use, who use the term remarkable life, seriously. Only uh, business school I... professors believe in the idea of a remarkable life. No one else would have the cheek to use that term. Uh, I'll take that as a compliment. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure that I think you're giving business school professors a little bit too much credit. <laughs> and although you may have meant that as in a in a negative kind of way, um, but I I purposely chose that term uh, in part because when something's remarkable, people remark on it, and but those remarks not are not always positive. And so what I want people to do is to create a positive life for themselves, even if other people don't see it as positive. What about, um, and, and looking at it the other way, what about what, you know, in our age of COVID, um, the issue of loneliness and, and, yes. and this as the, the, the disease that seems to be impacting people. You, you're a business school professor, so you have a lot of connections with, with younger people. How is this all bound up in 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 loneliness? Is it is loneliness one of the casualties of a world where people are not expected to be solar, or is it just the other side of the coin? Um, I actually I think a lot of loneliness is independent of it. Um, so let's so loneliness is obviously a, a real problem in in um, contemporary society. Um, it is uh, physically, psychologically, emotionally debilitating. Uh, loneliness is about wanting to be connected and being unable to make that happen. Uh, single people in general are actually more connected than their married counterparts. They have more friends. They're more involved in their community. And loneliness doesn't make a distinction between the types of connections as long as they're important, as long as they're deep. And so the problem with loneliness is you want something that you can't have. And all this pressure to get married is certainly contributes to that loneliness in part because people are wanting this one thing and unable to have it. But you can be, you can be lonely within a marriage if you find that marriage to be lacking, if you find your partner. There's a whole, I mean, beginning with Madame Bovary, there's a whole... There's hundreds of years of books about that. So Indeed, in fact, yes. Marriage, bad marriages seem to bring out the loneliness, particularly in women. Yeah, it's all it's an awful feeling. And and but the thing about the soul about the solo project is it's not putting someone on an island and asking them to be happy about it. If anything, I spend a lot of time um, coaching and urging people to be connected, to make friends to um, be involved in their community. And, um, you know, I know you, you, you have your, your issues with Scandinavia, but, you know, the, the Swedes are actually very good at this. Um, 
I, I spoke to the author of a They're book. good in the evening after they've had a few drinks. I'm sure. <laughs> but they are socially asocial, as uh, one of the authors of the theory of uh, Swedish love calls it, or they're asocially social. I forget how exactly he puts it. But the idea is that they enjoy their alone time, they enjoy their solitude and the benefits of solitude, but they are also connected, right? They're still connected to their family and their friends and perhaps romantic partnerships. And, and that's really, when you get down to it, fundamentally the tension that exists in humans between being connected and being autonomous and having the right balance of that is, is key. Um, there's an opposite um, experience called a loneliness. And that is not a sad experience. It's a stressful experience. It's an, it's an experience that people have when they don't have enough alone time. And I assume uh, social media only compounds all this. You, um, you you have some uh, some exes. Uh, you have an open letter to your students about getting them to read books. I'm assuming that social media is actually anti-social media and probably only compounds loneliness and not so much soloness, but a certain kind of unhappy solitary condition. Yeah, I mean, I certainly have my. I, I do a little bit of social media. I, I do like my Twitter, um, at least lurking. Um, but I, I think that like anything, social media is a tool, and it can be used in a positive way. So it can be used to find your people. For example, like the Han jokes in South Korea have online communities where they can find other like-minded people. I think that is helpful. But I always say, if you're going to send a text, why not make a call? If you're going to make a call, why not meet in person? You know, that we, the digital world allows us to have these very shallow connections with people. And, um, and we often need to go deep. You know, we need to see someone and hold their hand and embrace them and, um, and, and laugh with them and cry with them to feel alive and to feel connected in the world. So, I, I tend to agree with you on balance. Social media is about anti-social media, although I can see the case studies for how it can be a nice supplement uh, for people who otherwise would be isolated. Well, final question, Peter, uh, I have to admit, I, it's not a movement I'm particularly keen on joining, but uh, joining, but if, if there are people out there, and I'm sure there are listeners, viewers of this show who rather fancy Peter McGraw's, solo building a who want a remarkable life of their own how, how they of course need to go out and buy the book peter but what else should they do to begin how do you start this thing um so i think the one place you could start is just going to petermcgraw.org solo and seeing some of the things that um that i've been up to i have a podcast that has over 200 episodes that that um examines a wide array of topics, um, not just about relationships, but about living a good life. I have a whole series. Is it as good a podcast as this, Peter? Of course not. No, Andrew, but I, um, I can aspire. You can aspire. <laughs> um, when you grow uh, up. <laughs> uh, well, I would, you know, I would say this, I, you know, I, my name is Peter, obviously, and people like to use the term Peter Pan. And it doesn't seem like I've grown up because I've never married. Um, but I actually don't believe that's the standard by which we should judge adulthood. You can be a child in a marriage. And um, I, you know, I've done my fair share of, uh, of important things as, uh, as a bachelor. I cared for my, my dying mother. I, you know, I support a community of single people, which people can join at petermcgraw.org slash solo. Um, you know, I, 
Aren't okay. you concerned though, finally, Peter, that when you're dying, there's not going to be anyone who really cares enough to show up and help you? Well, I mean, you know, first of all, uh, no, I'm not concerned about that. I have rich, remarkable friendships, I have friendships that span decades. I have multi-generational friendships. So even if so, if I manage to outlive all my friends of my age, I have uh, younger friends that I've developed. I have a community of, you know, thousands of people who pay attention to this and are appreciative of a positive view of single living. And so I think the idea of marrying to have someone with you on your deathbed, first of all, it's a terrible bet for women um, because chances are their husband's going to already be dead. Um, to marry someone else. And, uh, and then, you know, with a, with a one in three divorce rate, you know, you may not get there anyways. I mean, I think people should marry because they want to have this person as a predominant force in their life, not because of some imaginary world that may be happening 10, 20, 30 years from now. 